What's going on, Hume? Okay, I'll give you guys like four out of ten. We'll improve on that as the week goes on. Hey, my name's Nick, and I am so thankful to be here with you. I hail from Phoenix, Arizona, where it is a billion degrees today. And so I'm thankful to be in the mountains at Hume Lake. This is my second summer ever being here. Raise your hand. It is your second summer being at Hume Lake. Only the second. Raise it up high. Loud and proud. Okay, there's my people. We've been here the same amount of times. Raise your hand if it's your first time being to Hume Lake ever. That's oh, a lot of you. That's awesome. Raise your hand if you are way more experienced at Hume Lake than I am. Awesome. I need you guys to show me the ropes. Hey, I am thankful to be here with you this week. Really glad that we get to spend some time in God's Word. But before we jump in, I would like to introduce you to my family so that hopefully my cute kids will trick you into listening to me. This is my family. This is my lovely wife, Rachel. We've been married for eight years, and that is Titus, who is three, and Jude, who is one, and they're going to be here this week, and Titus, his mind is like exploding that he gets to go to summer camp. He just cannot believe it. Titus lives his entire life cranked up to 11. He has the highest energy at all times. Uh, recently, we were uh, wrestling in his room, and I was like pinning him down to the ground, and he put his feet on his bedroom wall, and out of nowhere, he he goes, polar bear strength. <laughs> and I was like a little scared of my own three-year-old while we were wrestling. And then Jude, Jude is like a crash test dummy. We were just on a vacation with some friends who have two little twin boys who are Titus's age. And so Jude was just like constantly running around trying to follow them and figure out what they were doing. And he was falling off of everything. He came home bruised from like head to toe, falling off the picnic table, falling off the chair, falling off the scooter. The good thing is he is fat enough to have all kinds of cushion. No danger. You could drop him from the stage. He would bounce off his cheek. It's like there's so much padding there. If you see him run this week, just look for the jiggle. His jowls just <laughs> bounce up and down. They are so cute and so fun, and I'm so happy that they're going to be here. I mean, look at those cheeks, dude. Are you kidding me? And that's Titus either on crack or trying to hit a baseball. I don't know. I'm telling you, he's on 11 all the time. And if you see him and you just, like, gas him up, it will be so fun. They, Rachel, Titus, and Jude, they'll be here all week. I think she'll be dragging them around in a wagon for part of the week, and I know they would love if you said hey to them. I am so, so thankful to be here, and if you brought a Bible with you, you can go ahead and open it up to the very first page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, and as has already been introduced to you through the opener and through Sarah's message last night, we are here this week to talk about truth, and we're here to ask this question, is there absolute truth? truth. Because here's the deal. The world that we live in and the cultural air that you breathe is the message that there is no absolute truth, that all truth is relative. That what is true for you can be true for you, and what's true for you can be true for you, and what's true for me can be true for me. And none of those truths have to agree or be coherent with one another. They are all equally valid. You live your truth, I will live my truth, you speak your truth, and I will speak my truth, and we can live in perfect harmony with totally distinct versions of what is true. 
Now, I want to begin by just asking a very simple question. Does that work? Does it work? I mean, think about it. You're, you're always asking this question, does it work? If you drive, you get into your car, and you turn the key, and you're asking yourself, does it work? Is the car going to turn on? Is it going to drive, or will this be the day that it breaks down? Will this be the day that I turn the key and nothing happens? If you go to buy, like a, if you go to buy a, an, an Xbox or an iPad on OfferUp, you are asking the question, does it work? Does it function? Does it do what it was meant to do? Will it accomplish the purpose for which it exists? Does it work? And I want to ask that question as we begin about this idea that all truth is relative. I want to ask the question, does it work? Does that actually function in the real world? And I would submit to you as we begin that despite the fact that that sounds very nice, it sounds very kind, it sounds very tolerant, it is actually very damaging and in fact, it is self-defeating. All truth is relative is a statement that is a self-contradiction. So think with me for just a moment. If you can put your philosophy hat on. You would say to me, all truth is relative. Or you would say to me, there is no absolute truth. And I would simply ask you in return, is that true? And the way you answer that question will betray the self-defeating nature of the claim that you made. There is no absolute truth is a claim of absolute truth. And here, let me further illustrate it to you. The fact that this doesn't actually work is self-evident because no one in the world lives like there is no truth. You can say it as kind of a nice platitude to make somebody feel better about themselves or to make you feel better about yourself. You can say it, but then you will turn around and you will live like it is not true. And here, let me, let me illustrate it to you. With a purely hypothetical situation, this would never happen, but just imagine that it did. Imagine that you believe that there is no absolute truth, that all truth is relative, and you came to me and you said, hey, Nick, guess what? There is no truth. I've got my truth, you've got your truth, and they're both true. And I would say, wow, this is delightful news. And then I would punch you in the face and I would take all of the money that you brought to Hume to buy merch. And you would look at me and you would say, through tears, because I'm a hard puncher. <laughs> you would say, that was wrong. It was wrong of you to punch me in the face. And I would say, oh, I have good news for you. You believe it was wrong, but my truth says it was not wrong for me to punch you in the face. And then you would say to me, well, at least give me my money back. And I would say, huh, my truth, my money. Now, here's what I'm illustrating with this silly example. The only way you can function in the world, in relationship, and in society, and with other people, is if you believe there is a common standard of truth to which you both appeal. It's the only way you can actually exist. 
It's the only way you can live. If you really believed that there was absolutely no truth whatsoever, we would lock you up in a straitjacket and put you in an insane asylum because you would have no way to interact in a functional society or as a human being with other people. Truth is that important to us. If you jump off a building, you will fall to the ground because there is truth in gravity. Two plus two does not equal five, it equals four because there is truth in mathematics. Now I wanna just ask this question. If relative truth does not work for conflict resolution or for mathematics, what in the world makes us believe it would be an acceptable answer to the most important questions in the world? Questions that all of us are asking. Questions that every person in every corner of the globe for all time has asked. Questions like this. Is there a God? And if so, what is he like? Questions like, why do I exist? What is my purpose in the world? Questions like, what is wrong with me and the people around me and the world, and how can we fix it? These are questions that everyone is asking. And what I want to show you from God's word this week as we take a journey through the gospel of John is that there are good answers to all of those questions, and there are true answers. There are not answers that are equally valid when they are contradictory. They are Answers that come from God and from his word and that are good for us. There is truth. There is absolute truth. And that's good news for you and me today. So here's what I want to do. I want to begin, as we start, I want to begin by building a foundation. If you went down beneath this very building that we are in, you would find a rock-solid footing that had been poured deep into the ground as a firm foundation upon which this large structure could be built. And you and I, if we're going to understand and access absolute truth, we need to build a foundation upon which we can have that understanding. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give you two important truths about truth. I want to talk to you about the truth about truth as we begin, and we're going to use this as our foundation for the rest of our week together. Two important truths about truth, and here's the first one. Truth is real because God exists. Truth is real because God exists. Now, if there is truth, if all that I have said to this point is actually true, if there is absolute truth, then it has to come from somewhere, or better yet, it has to come from someone. And the very first words recorded in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, hopefully where you have your Bible open right now, it tells us that God is the source of everything, truth included. God is the source from which all other things flow. And so he, because he exists, because he is real, then truth, therefore, is real. Look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. It says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This short passage, it tells us two very important things about God. The first thing it tells us is that God is eternal. That God has always existed 
that there was never a time when God came into being, and there is never a time when God will pass out of being. God doesn't have a timeline because he exists outside of a timeline. God is eternal, and this is what is meant by the phrase, in the beginning. You may know that the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and it's hard to kind of translate this idea, but if we were to translate the thought behind the Hebrew phrase, in the beginning, it would probably sound a little bit more like, before the beginnings began, which I think is awesome. Before the beginnings began. Which means, if you can try to wrap your mind around it, and what I'm about to say, I understand, it stretches the limitations of human language, but there was a time when there was no time. There was a time in which there was no time and there was no space. Everything that you and I, as limited, finite human creatures, everything that we use to mark our existence... Space in which our body exists and time through which we pass moment to moment. That's the only existence we have ever known. But God is not limited by time or space. And the fact that God is not limited by time is illustrated here. Before the beginnings began, before time was even a thing, God was there. There was a moment when there was no time, there was no space, there was only God. The first thing we learn in this text is that God is eternal, and the second is this, that God is not only eternal, God is creator. God is the creator of all things. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So back when there was no time and no space, there was only God, that God decided in his sovereign wisdom that he would speak And then all of creation would spring into being. Genesis 1 and 2 go on to tell us the story that God spoke the universe and all that it contains into existence by the word of his power. God spoke it into being. So what that means is that because God is eternal and because God is the creator... Because he has existed forever and because he made everything, it means if there is truth to be known in this world, then God, the eternal creator, will be the source of it. We ought not to look to one of the created things or one of the things that God spoke into existence to find out what is ultimately true. We ought to look to the one who created all of those things. That's God. So here's what this means. If the first sentence of the Bible is true, if Genesis 1-1 is an accurate reflection of reality, then God is the source and the standard of all truth. If Genesis 1-1 is true, and I believe it is, then truth is real because God exists. Because God himself, in his person and his character and his nature, he is ultimate reality. And anything else in the world is only true insofar as it agrees with that source of ultimate reality, God himself. There's a place, a famous place in Arizona called Fossil Creek. It's about an hour north of Phoenix. And if you saw a picture of it, you would never believe that it exists in Arizona. A lot of people think Arizona is just a horrible desert, and it is way better than that. Phoenix is like the most underrated city in the country. Come visit sometime. It's amazing. 
You drive an hour north, you get to Fossil Creek, and it's this gorgeous green oasis with a massive, beautiful waterfall with crystal blue water tumbling over these rocks and falling down into a basin. It's an amazing place to go camp, cliff jump, swim, hike, all of that stuff. It's awesome. It's called Fossil Creek. And if you went up to the top of the waterfall and you started to kind of trace back this rushing river that gathers up in the waterfall and tumbles over the rocks, if you started to walk beside it, and trace it back up to its source, you eventually get to this little spot in the ground that is so fascinating to visit. You get to this little spot in the ground where there is a, a giant hole that looks sort of like a natural well. It's just like the ground goes down into this abyss in, in the ground. And out of it, rather than just being empty, out of that hole in the ground at all times is gushing forth this massive torrent of water. It's a, it's a fountain, like a natural fountain springing out of the earth that then gathers up together into this huge waterfall. And what I'm here to tell you today, based on the authority of God's word, is that if there is truth, if there is a river of truth that runs through the world, God himself is the fountain. God himself is the source from which all of that truth flows because he alone is the eternal creator, the ultimate reality, the uncaused cause, and the one who is responsible for everything else that exists. It's him. So you live in a world right now that teaches you that the way you determine what is true is by evaluating what you think and feel. You're sort of taught that if it doesn't feel right to you or if it doesn't make sense to you, if you can't rationalize it or if you can't empathize with it, if you don't feel like it's true, then you should just not believe that it's true. And I'm not here to tell you that your thoughts and feelings are unimportant. Your thoughts and feelings are very important. But I am here to tell you, because I love you, that what you think and what you feel does not determine reality. I mean, think about the power of that statement. What you think and what you feel determines reality. The only way that could be true is if you were God, and you are not, and neither am I. There's only one being in the universe that determines ultimate reality, and it's the one who created it. It is God. There is a God. There is an eternal creator God, and he is the God of the Bible. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the three-in-one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is Yahweh, and he is the ultimate determiner of what is true. Truth is real because God exists. Now, maybe you've got to this point in the message and you think to yourself, Nick, this sounds very abstract. This sounds very philosophical. This sounds very scholarly. This sounds very far away from me. How in the world could this impact my everyday life? A concept that's so out there like this. How could this intersect my life? The good news and the second big truth about truth is that the truth didn't stay far away. The truth came close to us. Here's the second truth about truth. 
not only is truth real because God exists, but truth is relatable because Jesus lives. Truth is relatable because Jesus lives. <laughs> I am so fascinated by memes. Anybody else love memes? I mean, say what you want about the internet generation. We developed an elaborate system of communication based on still images and single lines of text, and I think that's awesome. You ever been in a group text that is only memes, 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 and you have a coherent conversation with a group of like 20 people? You know what I'm talking about? That's amazing. That's like the person who invented Morse code, but way more fun. Like we are, we are impressive. And here's the thing about memes. Here's what I love about memes. What makes somebody share a meme or what makes a meme go viral or spread like wildfire through your texts and your group chats and your WhatsApps and your Instagram DMs, what makes it just blow up and go viral is when it is something that we call relatable. You know what I'm talking about? When you, when you look at it, it's hashtag relatable, my man. You're like, that's relatable. You read it, and, and here's what relatable is. When something that is said or something that is posted or something that you see actually overlaps with your experience, with your life, it means something to you. Oh, I've felt that. Oh, I've thought that. Oh, I know that. I've experienced that. That's what it means to be relatable. And I'm here to tell you, after all that conversation about the eternal creator, transcendent God, that truth, absolute truth, is relatable to you. Truth is not some far away, out there concept that has no bearing on your life. Truth is a very near thing and something that can change your life. You can actually interact with the truth. The truth is relatable. Why? Because the transcendent creator, God of the universe, chose not to stay far away, but to come near in the person of Jesus Christ, who calls himself the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I want to take you to John 1 for just a moment. You can flip your Bible there if you want, and it'll also be on the screen. But I want to tell you this, that John, as he began to write his gospel, not by accident, not by coincidence, he begins his gospel with the exact same words of Genesis 1. And the reason that he does it is because he wants to draw your attention to that eternal creator God of Genesis 1. And here's how he does it. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. <laughs> this, is a, this is a treasure trove right here. You could spend a lifetime diving into just this one sentence and you would not exhaust the depths of the glory that exists just here. Now, the word, spoiler alert, if you keep reading in John chapter 1, the word is Jesus Christ. And it's word with a capital W because it's like a title for him. The Greek word is logos. And it means logic or reason. It means communication. Essentially, this is the idea of the fact that the Word, the second person of the Trinity, who would become Jesus when he was incarnate, this is the communication of God to the world. It is the reason of God to the world. And in this one verse, we learn three very important things about Jesus. 
we learn that he eternally existed with God. We learn that he is distinctly different from God. And we learn that he is totally divine as God. So think about those three things. First, he eternally existed with God. The reason John begins his gospel this way is because he wants you to know that Jesus was around. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, he was around when Genesis 1-1 occurred. He wants you to know that Jesus did not spring into existence in that manger in Bethlehem. He wants you to know that Jesus, the sovereign, eternal Son of God, he was around before the beginnings began. When only God was around, the Son of God was there. He is eternally existent with God. But not only that, the second great truth is that he is distinctly different from God. This verse is one of the primary places that we come to understand what we call Trinitarian theology, that God is three and yet one, that he is three persons with one nature. Because here it says he was eternal, just like God, and yet he is distinctly different from God, that the Son of God is different from God the Father, is different from God the Spirit. And then the third truth, maybe most shocking here when we realize that this is written about Jesus is that it says at the end of that verse, the word was God. The word was God. That could not be any clearer. This says that the Son of God shares perfectly the character and nature of God himself because he is God. He always has been God and he always will be God. Now, what's so unique about this second person of the Trinity who we call the Son of God, it's that We need to understand that this second person, this son of God, he did not come into existence when he was born as a baby. What happened is this son of God was taking on a human nature when he was born in that manger in Bethlehem, and he took on the name Jesus. This is why we call him the God-man, fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ, the Lord. The eternally existent second person of the Trinity took on human flesh, was born as a baby boy, was called Jesus, and lived among us. Now, if you've ever seen a Marvel movie before like the last three or four, you will know that the creator of Marvel, Stan Lee, before he passed away, he would appear for a brief moment in every single one of his movies. This is called, anyone know what this is called? A cameo, exactly. It's called a cameo. And here's what a cameo is. It's someone who just kind of appears for a moment, but in Stan Lee's case, here's what was happening. Stan Lee was sort of the creative genius who wrote Marvel into existence. He created it. It was his brainchild. It was his creative project. And every time in one of those movies from the first phase of of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you see that old man appear in the movie, what you are seeing is the author of the story enter into the story. You are seeing the one who wrote it into existence himself step into it and be a part of it. And that is a small picture of what you are seeing when Jesus Christ takes on human flesh. You are seeing the author of all existence and the creator of all humanity become human himself. 
Now, here's why all of this matters. Here's why all of this matters. Because when the God of the universe takes on a human body, here's what's happening. The transcendent God is coming near to finite humans like you and us, like you and me, like like we, the ones who could never reach up to God, he came down to us. And this is how the Bible says it. In Philippians 2, it says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. John 1 goes on to say in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then this, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This is such good news for us, guys. When we could never reach high enough to get to God, God stooped down to come to us. In 2018, there was 12 young soccer players in Thailand. They were between the ages of 11 and 16. And they were with their 25-year-old coach. So 13 people total. And they went on a hike in this cave system in Thailand. And while they were down in the caves, a torrential downpour, like heavy rain, came behind them. And it flooded the cave system up to where they were at. So they were stuck in a chamber of this cave, but between them and the surface was way too much water for any person to swim. And it was super dangerous as the water came up and down and there was no way to get through it. And this became like a global crisis. This became something that the whole world was aware of and was going to work on together. And what ended up happening is these British cave divers partnered with uh, Air Force Special Forces and a Navy SEAL diving team, and they pooled all their resources to go swim through the cave system with extra oxygen and pull these young soccer players out of the cave, and they ended up doing it. They saved all of their lives. It's an amazing story. You can go look it up. Now, how ridiculous do you think it would be if all of the national media and all of the military and all of the scientists and all of the people, they looked at the 12-year-old boys in the cave and they said, well, that's too bad. Why don't you try swimming out? Really sucks you got yourself in that situation. Why don't you fix it? Dunk your head underwater and get to kicking. No one was saying that. Why? Because it was impossible for them to get to the surface. It was impossible for them to get to the authorities and to the powers. And so the powers went to them. And they saved their lives by doing it. It is impossible for you and for me to reach high enough or to understand deep enough to grasp ultimate reality about a transcendent God. But here's the good news. God knows it is impossible. So rather than making us try our hardest to figure it out, God comes to us in the person of Jesus and he says, I am the truth. 
If you want to know what is true, all you have to know is me. Jesus says, I will show you the truth because I know you can't reach high enough to grab it for yourself. I will bring it down to you in my very person. We see Jesus who is full of grace and truth. And we get to see what God is like. And we get a glimpse into ultimate reality. And we get to know who God is and what this world is all about. We get answers to our most important questions about ultimate reality when we know Jesus. And so I'm sure in a room this size with this number of people that there's a whole bunch of us that come into this week of summer camp and we just feel stuck. Maybe that's you. Maybe you feel burdened and burnt out. Maybe you feel trapped. Maybe you feel enslaved. And you're just longing for something. You're longing for a breakthrough. You're longing for freedom. You're longing for healing. You're longing for something. Well, the good news that I have for you today is that contrary to popular belief, absolute truth is not a sledgehammer that God wants to use to beat you over the head. Absolute truth is a key that God wants to use to unlock your chains. Absolute truth is the loving invitation of a gracious God into the fullness of life that only he offers. Absolute truth is not oppressive or harmful or backwards. Absolute truth is the kind revelation of your father in heaven so that you can know him. Jesus says it this way in John chapter 8. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. My earnest prayer for you this week is that as you encounter the truth and as you humble your heart and open your ears to receive truth from God's word, that it would set you free from the bondage and the curse and the burden that you may have walked in here with. God has a way for you to be free from that, and it's that you would know the truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for how kind it is that you don't leave us to wonder who you are, that you don't leave us to wander in the darkness and to try our very best to figure it out ourselves. You, who are the ultimate, eternal creator, God, you who are the source of all things, you have come near to us in the person of your very son, Jesus Christ. And so now, God, we have an opportunity to know you and to know truth. And so, God, I pray that you would meet us, Holy Spirit, meet us right where we are at, each of us. You are such a big and a powerful God that I know you can relate to every single person in this room individually and personally and patiently and lovingly. And I'm praying that through your word and through our conversations and through our gatherings and our prayers and our questions, through our time devoted to you this week at Hume, God, I pray that you would meet with each and every one of us. God, I pray that you would reveal to us what is true, not as an instrument of harm, not as a way to hurt us, but as a way to set 
us free. God, I pray that at the end of this week, we would get to celebrate our freedom from the bondage of lies and deception, and we would walk in the freedom of truth. We count on you to do this, God. We cannot make this happen on our own. There's no way I can speak powerfully enough. There's no way the team can sing well enough. There's no way our counselors can answer our questions well enough. If this is gonna happen, God, it will be, be, it will be because you show up. It will be because you meet with us in power. So God, help us, meet with us. We love you, and we look forward to all that you will do, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said...